This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. What can parents and educators do to stop children from panicking about COVID-19 coronavirus? Senior researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research, Dr Mohamed Alansari, uh, is also, of course, honorary academic at the University of Auckland's Faculty of Education and Social Work. Mohammed's back on 9 to noon with thoughts around this. Uh, he is in the Wellington studio with me. Good morning. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm really well. It's the classic case, isn't it? A story like this ends up dominating domestic oh, absolutely. news, international news. Oh, totally. There are things like the emergency briefings every day, or in this case, less emergency, but a daily briefing. And it all builds up this sense in all of us, Mm -hmm. really, that something big is happening. But how do children in particular process this? Right. So today I've got five takeaway messages and hopefully we'll get teachers and parents to like think about how they might approach this topic. Because the chances are you're going to get your kid coming back from school one day saying, mum, so-and-so said this, my friend's mum and dad said we should do that. What's going on? And so the first thing that I want to really kind of emphasize as a takeaway message is don't shut down those conversations and don't just tell people not to panic because rule number one, if you tell me not to panic, what do I do? I'm going to panic. And so, and don't end the conversations there really. Usually people have the sense of mistrust, anxiety and lack of kind of control when they don't know what's happening. And I think it's important for parents to tackle the conversation from a strength point of view, talking about what is it that we're already doing, how is it that we actually do have a lot of health protocols in place to support them, Um, so it's not like they're going to combat this on their own, really. The goal, if you want to think about it that way, is to make sure that we empower the kids to be well-informed and responsive should they need to in the future. So so, so you want to focus on what's done, you want to focus on the good stuff that we are actually looking after each other. There's two things, isn't there? One mm. is dealing with that they might be scared or they're hearing mm-hmm. things that are wrong. And then the second thing is, Actually, there are times when we do need to learn to do things That's as exactly a community right. because it works. That's exactly right. So where would you start? Would, would you start when they raise the issues? Is that that moment where whatever you're doing, you manage to find a time to stop and think, right, here's the moment where I need to, mm, to listen mm. in. And and what might they be saying? It, it might be, I heard X or mm. I heard Y. So what do you then do? I think it's important to future-proof it. And perhaps if you know that it's getting widespread, there's a lot of miscommunication around it. It's not a bad idea to just sit down one day and be like, by the way, there's this virus outbreak ha- happening at the moment. Um, let's look at the Ministry of Health website and, and, and see what they, what they say about that. And you shouldn't worry because so-and-so. It's nice to kind of front it that way. Um, and that's just one strategy. Strategy. I know that other parents would say, oh, let's not talk about it till it's actually a big mm. kind of deal. But then you kind of leave room for misconceptions for your kids to hear all sorts of stories from other Especially sources. Especially when you start to hear cases happening here. Yes, So that's right. even talking about, I mean, you might want to say, and it depends on age, doesn't it? But mm. you might even want to talk about what a virus is. And you that's just exactly might want right. to say, we all get sick from time to time. Mm-hmm. This is just a new one. And yep. right now people are working on how to deal with it. That's exactly right. That's actually a second key message that I've got to get people 
kids especially, to get used to outbreaks. This is not the first and this is not the last time we're going to get a virus outbreak. As long as people know what to do in cases like this, you know, it's the same as earthquakes. I think we've done a good deal with kids teaching them that earthquakes happen. We've got earthquake emergency procedures, you know, so, so, and we've gotten them, of course, they'll be afraid, but at least now they know what to do. They're empowered to do things on their own should an earthquake emergency happens. So why not treat this in the same way? By the way, viruses happen all the time. People get sick all the time. Those are some of the things that you want to think of. Right? Yep. And then we can talk about things how it's, you, you can another way of introducing it is, look, it's mostly overseas at the moment. And this exactly. is when it gets into a community, that's when it happens. We've got one or two cases here. But look, what you're seeing on your TV sc- screen mm-hmm. is how the health ministry and how the government, how everybody, how organised they are yeah, to manage Exactly. It. So you turn what's scary into something that looks manageable. Perfect. That's exactly right. You can always focus on, oh, there are three cases and they're severe and so on. But look at all the healthy people and look at what they do to sustain and and, and keep doing what they do. And I think it's important to focus on that. That gives people hope. That gives people a sense of confidence as well. And it gets them to kind of just roll on with it as opposed to just stop their life and panic about it, you know, because it won't do you good. Um, the next point kind of relative to that actually is the fact that if you or your kids have any health related queries don't consult Facebook don't consult random strangers no to your neighbours just look up official health organisation websites the Ministry of Health got lots of information Um, the problem these days is people speak from a place of fear and emotions it's not always research informed and if you look up some news news or media outlets they, they kind of help create a sense of paranoia, more so than calming people down and communicating positive and effective strategies. So why not just tune into the Ministry of Health or ring up any health professional, your GP, say, hey, I'm worried about those symptoms or I'm worried about the virus. Can you tell me more about it? Um, I think professionals will be very happy if you talk to them and get an accurate answer. It's very important what you just said, actually. Most of the medical centres have just gone out and notified their clientele um, about don't come in here if you do have symptoms, mm-hmm. right? Um, ring the number. Yep. So again, it, it's we've got to take the right steps, but mm-hmm. it's got to be conveyed as we're doing this because things are under control. Exactly. And, uh, and that's a problem because the narrative around this at the moment is can it be contained? Can it be controlled? <laughs> so this is what they're hearing yep. reported in, not just from Facebook or, or, or not just from kids talking, but from the mainstream media. Yep. Yep. So again, when you hear can it be controlled, can it be contained, you then have to reframe that and say, yeah, well that's mm-hmm. that's about whether we can just keep one or two cases here or whether we're going yep. to have quite a few people yep. Exactly right. get this. And I, th- and I think... The this pen has been going off all morning. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> no, it's no. hyperactive. I've got, I've, got, I've got two new pens, and the, the click button's insane. It's pretty cool as well. Yeah. And Karen. I think the, 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 the important thing, and I really like what you just said, because in order for us to combat this narrative, we just need to shift it towards us. What is it about my health and hygiene practices that I should sustain or keep going in order for me to remain as healthy as possible? And I think that's something that we can do and it's within our control as opposed to keep thinking about, oh, could we control, you know, could yep. we make sure that there are no yep. more cases? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So it's the hand washing 
yeah. protocol. And everyone's done this with their kids, wash hands after the yeah. toilet. And, it, and it's just emphasising, you know what we do after the toilet and before we have dinner, we're going to do that lots and lots and lots of times yeah, uh, exactly a day. Right. Um, again, while saying, hey, it's not even here yet, but if we all do this, yep. Yep. It's, it's going to help. The other, Do you directly talk about the fact that children seem to have mild, much milder than serious symptoms in this? Is that too much of a level of detail to go into? Or is it something you could have as a throwaway comment? By the way, you know, unfortunately, as with any other mm. um, illness or flu, it's often people who are already unwell or older who, who are most vulnerable. Right, right, right. Whereas what we're seeing is this is yep. very maybe, mild yeah, I was going to say, maybe older teenagers yep. might ask those questions. Um, yep. Am I more likely to be affected than others? Um, again, and how badly. And yep. how badly and so on. So then the parents might again go to health organization websites and and I think the the one one of the studies that I've just read recently about the coronavirus suggests that people with weak immune systems and so on are more likely to to, sure, to be sure. affected by it right so if they're interested in getting through that kind of level of deep detail research it ask professionals and then talk to the kids about it there's yeah um, I also want to go back to what you just said before because I think it's another important takeaway message, which is to normalise health and hygienic practices. My worst nightmare would be if six months down the track people will stop washing their hands because the coronavirus is no longer a threat. No, no, no. You wash your hands all the time. You know, you always look after your health and hygiene and so on and so forth. So this should be treated as normal. Um, All of us engage in hygienic practices all the time. It's not because of the virus. And I think that's a healthy way of getting our kids kind of used to. Just praise them or just encourage them to do that more consistently. And then there's nothing new to kind of do. That consistency is important, and you've pointed out here consistent messages between school and home. Mm. Are most schools getting organised in the way they are talking about this and conveying that to parents? Um, Different schools seem to have different approaches. So, for example, I'm familiar with a number of schools who decided to talk about this in their school hall, so the principal would lead the conversation. I'm also aware of other schools where each um, each teacher would have their own separate talk and they do it their own way. And we may not agree on the best way to approach this, really, but I think the important thing to do is to reach out to the school and talk about, okay, what information did you guys provide to my children and figure out whether I need to complement or extend on those efforts at home or not. Um, Again, be prepared for your kids to come back home and say, my teacher or so-and-so's mum have said we should do this, but we're not doing it at home, mum. Are we on the wrong here? What's happening? So to kind of better understand how to respond to those questions, you really got to figure out what kind of conversations are taking place in school and so on. And it's very likely, because it's the way the world is, that they will be hearing things that have come from strange websites or conspiracy conspiracy (laughs) theories or do this or do that. But that is part of parenting full stop today, isn't it? It's just can you can you listen to what we're we're saying? Um, not necessarily to what so and so's saying. Um sometimes from, from some quite interesting sources. But it's, it's a growing <laughs> challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm curious as to how you undertake that full stop. And look, we've had this over vaccinations. We've had it over all sorts of things. Mm. When they are hearing sometimes some quite strident views that are conveyed through channels that might ultimately end up being their, right. their, their friends but may have come from parents somewhere else, mm-hmm. like how do you explain and how do you have the starting point right. of... 
the difference between facts and theories and facts and conspiracies and expert sources mm. and Facebook. Right. Um, I think that's the challenge for parents to be one or two steps ahead in terms of how to look through information, how to be informed and where to get that kind of information from, really. But in saying so, again, parents would know their kids and what works, kind of what what's best to approach their kids with. But one strategy that we often recommend to some parents is that if you can't seem to convince your child of a certain way or certain types of information, why not adopt a democratic approach where you and your kids would sit together and search through information? And in that way, when your child go, oh, look, that website says this. And then as a parent, you can go, yeah, but actually it's not a credible source because so-and-so. This is, this is one of the absolutely most fundamental skills they need to be taught. I agree. And at what age do you start teaching that? I mean, this is the ability to discern mm-hmm. and to understand different sources of content and, what, right. and, and, and how to check and double-check their credibility. Mm. What age do you begin to teach those concepts? Um, I think you need to be really, really basic with kids in the primary years. Um, their, their their logic or their sense of, 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 of reasoning is very basic. Fan- this much wonderful fantasy world as well. Exactly, yeah. and I envy them for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we don't want to harshly end that and say actually. <laughs> no, ex- yeah. <laughs> exactly. They will not understand when I say credibility, expertise, yeah. and so on. So you yeah. want to break it down in language that they understand um, what's a good source versus yeah. a not-so-good source. But even the gap between their imaginations and fantasy Yep. And hard facts is mm-hmm. not something you want to um, smash to pieces <laughs> at, at, at a young age. It's something that comes with their maturing. That's exactly right. Yeah. And often critical thinking and formal reasoning, if you want to think about it that way, kind of begins to develop from 12, 13 years of age and, and later on. So perhaps if you have kids in intermediate or secondary school, this is the part where you can start slowly formalise that kind of process and feed them more information that yeah, we think they can handle the it. The visual cues are interesting. And well, it's funny, isn't it? The panic buying and stuff is, is adults doing that, oh, not, not yes. kids. And in some instances, I, I, I understand where there may be family members affected in another country, for example. Mm. Or um, I, I understand where you have very viscerally heard how, how serious the early stages of an outbreak like this can be, mm. that, that you're frightened. I completely get that, actually. Um, but it's it's when you see that kind of visual impact or people wearing face masks, a lot of people wearing face masks, that visual cue is very powerful in children. Oh, absolutely. And that's what what they're going to associate the coronavirus or any sort of virus in the future with. That's the image Mm. they'll see. But Um, with it suddenly happening, that's what creates fear. It's like, oh gosh, everyone's suddenly doing this. All the grown-ups are suddenly doing this. And and there's the sense of, well... A, should I be doing it? And, and, and two, no one told me to do it. Should I be doing it as well? Am I left out of this? And what does it mean? You know, um, and I think it goes back to parents really just pointing out that this is what some people do. This is why they do it. And by the way, this is our take as a family on yeah. it. And that take, I hope, and I'm going to cross my fingers, that it's research informed, it's well grounded in what we know from medical and health professionals, as opposed to something that they've heard down the road. For some older kids, I've seen some quite good um, video stuff, again, from reliable sources. I think The Guardian had quite a good little video from their health reporter constantly Mm. referring to to, um, uh, expert advice. And it looked pretty tidy to me. And I'm sure onto it, health officials can do similar stuff. That's user-friendly. And again, Mm -hmm. kids of a certain age, particularly teens, often more receptive to a a video message than a lecture from a parent or whatever. You also said something really important, which is that this is this one, but 
there will be more. Oh, um, absolutely. And it's a hard line, isn't it? Talking to, talking to anyone who had children going through the earthquakes, for example, and we know actually from the research done subsequently, mm. those impacts on the nervous system, those impacts on memory are real and, yes. and, 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 and stay. But just trying to preempt whatever the next mm. impact is going to be and to almost normalise the abnormal. That's exactly right. And normalise right. the best we can do is prepare mm. and then work mm. together when it happens. Yeah, because that's the only thing that you can control is, is your actions and reactions in situations like this, not how other people respond to it. So why not just focus on that? What can we do to future-proof? What can we do to stay safe and protect ourselves and, the, and, and, and other people to the best of our ability? A wonderful piece of advice here that actually refers back to when we were talking about those most vulnerable and that children don't appear to be the most affected. That might be where you want to end Mm. the comment. Here's a wonderful piece of insight from Ross. Please note, empathic children will be worried about parents and grandparents who are at higher risk. Mm -hmm. So maybe just say, so far all the evidence is that children who get get this illness, catch this illness... um, have very mild symptoms, yes. rather than saying the elderly, the vulnerable. <laughs> you don't need to finish the sentence. He makes a really good point. They'll be they'll be frightened for loved yep, ones. Yep, that's exactly right. And 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 I mean, it's it's a very adorable and encourageable thing, empathy. Yeah. You know, so of course they're going to feel for that. Yeah. And 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 so it's important to think about how you deliver it. Again, as a parent, you'd know how sensitive your kids are, um, how close they are to certain people. So you really want to use that to in a positive way and how much dosage would you kind of introduce and how much information would you share and at what point as well? Here is a very interesting question. What should I say to very young children who put their hands in their mouth all the time? Gosh, I don't think we're going to stop that happening, are we? That's, that's just. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. It's, if it's a little, if it's kids' things, for, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, when kids' teeth as well, you know, that process, they, they do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm hoping that slowly they'll grow out of it. If not, parents could slowly just kind of encourage the kids not to, basically. I, I think the point that, that, that we're making at the moment in the current environment where we're all going to be careful that yeah. way. Um, there's some there's some biological facts you're not going to override, which no. is a, an infant's instinct, for example. To do exactly. That. It's a, it's a really interesting question. I yeah. At some age, might you say, let's try not to do that at the moment, or would, is that just putting a worry on them? I think it's putting extra worry. Putting to a be worry honest. on them. Yeah. And just look after the, yep. you know, the house hygiene and and keep washing the hands. Mm. What a thoughtful question. I'm aged 80. When I was at primary school, everyone knew polio was around. We knew of people who had it and survived, perhaps with a leg problem. We knew about iron lungs, which were rather scary, and that some people died. At the end of 1947, there was an epidemic and schools were closed, and it was advised that children not go to crowded places. Questions were answered. There was no fear among my friends. Families talked about it. See what I mean? And that's the first thing that we said. Don't just tell people not to panic. Talk to them about it. Have the conversation. When people lack information... Um, they they get a sense of mistrust, um, anxiety, intention, and that leads to irrational behaviours in response to any sort of virus, really. So it's an open and transparent and a very friendly conversation about how we can protect ourselves in in, in an environment or in situations like this. Mohammed, thank you very much. Mohammed Alansari of the New Zealand Council for Educational Research, also honorary academic at the University of Auckland's Faculty of Education and Social Work.